Get ready to hear the truth about America on a show that's not immune to the facts with your host, Dan Bongino. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. This is a special podcast we put together for you to enjoy on Sundays. It features some of the interviews we did on my radio show during the week with some terrific guests, and we just like you to hear it. So you can hear these live during the week in your local radio station. You can find out on my website where you can listen, Bongino.com. Click on Station Finder. With cyber attacks on the rise, protecting your data security is more important than ever. So why is Congress considering a law that puts your data at greater risk of being hacked and exposed to foreign networks? The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill shifts billions in consumer spending to less secure payment networks, all so that corporate megastores can make bigger profits. Don't let Durbin Marshall steal your data. Visit handsoffmyrewards.com security and tell your senators to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Paid for by Electronic Payments Coalition. First up, today's interview with Victor Davis Hansen. We got his thoughts on the Russian invasion of Ukraine, what he thinks may happen, and what our response should be. Take a listen. All right, here he is. All right. Welcoming back, well, not back, for the first time to the show. I interviewed this uh, gentleman once before when I used to guest host at WMAL. So welcoming back to the Dan Bongino Show, just not this one, Victor Davis Hansen. Thanks for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Dan. Sure, and you can check him out at victorhanson.com for his writings, his books. They're terrific. Sir, first question for you today. Um, you know, the, the, the variables here, as I've been discussing in my first hour of the show, are, are nearly endless. And, and uh, the problem we have is there's a certain predictability that's gone out the window with Vladimir Putin. I mean, even for uh, an international despot like Kim Jong-un, we can generally figure out what he's not going to do. Um, it appears right now with Putin that that's getting more difficult. I mean, a lot of uh, people with a lot of experience in the region seem to think he wouldn't invade outside of eastern Ukraine and did it anyway. Um, do you see him as being irrational or unpredictable, or do you have a different viewpoint on that? I have a little different. I think he's pretty predictable. I think the only thing that was unexpected is that the initial 48 hours or three days even, he didn't use the full extent of his power to crush the Ukrainian resistance. He underestimated. He thought it would be analogous to eastern Ukraine or Crimea or Georgia, where it was pretty easy. But I think the way he figures is that he's going to pour in everything he has and crush the Ukrainians. And in a month from now, when you or I talk to people, we won't remember the initial difficulty. We'll only be supposedly, in his mind, impressed by Russian power and decisiveness. And this will send a signal to everybody uh, in the former Soviet Union that are not part of Mother Russia that this was the lesson. And I think he, he so he underestimated the resistance and he underestimated NATO coming together and the, the flip-flop of Germany but in his mind, he still thinks it's not, you know, it's not hopeless. He's, he's going to win. And then in his real politic world, savage world, only all that matters is winning. And nobody will yeah. care about the details, how he won or the difficulty, how he won a year from now, a month from now. So I'm kind of skeptical of all these people who are, you know, rallying and saying, I wish it were true, but they're saying, well, he's going to lose and he's going to there's going to be a coup and they're going to get rid of him and he's destroyed the economy that could happen but for the short term at least if he wins with this renewed use of power 
in his calculations, he can still salvage the whole Ukrainian project. I hope he doesn't, but that's how I think he thinks. And that's kind of predictable, I think. We're talking to Victor Davis Hansen. You can check out his writings and his work at victorhansen.com. Sir, what do you make of his escalating nuclear rhetoric? You think it's a bluff? Uh, I mean, again, we, a lot of folks miscalculated with a lot of experience dealing with the region who thought, as I said before, he would just stick with the eastern region of Ukraine and not go any further. That clearly was not the case. Um, you know, given a black swan event like a, like a nuclear attack, it's not the type of thing we can just cast off in disregard. Uh, your take on why he's uh, escalating the nuclear rhetoric. Oh, I think he realizes that in every incursion, invasion, the key to whether you win or lose are borders. And we lost in Vietnam because of the Ho Chi Minh Trail in the Southeast Asia supply depots. We had a tough, we really lost in Afghanistan because of the Pakistan border and Iraq, Syria and Iran. Anytime you have that fluidity and you can be resupplied, you're not going to win. And he's looking at the statistics it's in the many thousands now of javelins and sams that have been sent in there. And you look at that picture of that convoy, and in theory, those javelins, the new improved, can hit something at over two miles, and a guy could be in the forest beyond the, you know, the flanking uh, infantry guards of that convoy and take out a lot of vehicles if they have that many of them. So he's thinking, well, I've got to get this over with and win, and these people, we've got four NATO countries that are, that are going to stop me, and so I'm going to threaten a nuclear strike on the West. Or, but I, when you look, you know, people have remarked about the look of his generals when he said that. I don't know if that's indicative of yeah. anything, but I think there are. Yeah, I don't either. That, I, I think that I was more either, propaganda but, than anything. I mean, you don't know what they were thinking. The guy could have just gotten out know. of his kid's birthday party and had a funky look on his face. No, I agree with you 100. Sorry, go ahead. Didn't mean to interrupt yeah, you there. Yeah, I, well, I, I just think there's certain things I wish we didn't do. You remember the hot mic in uh, Seoul, South Korea in March of 2012. And I really wish Obama hadn't have had yeah. that quid pro quo where we dismantled the uh, missile defense. Ostensibly it was to protect Eastern Europe against Iran. But right now, if we had a joint missile defense to hit missiles on their initial trajectory in Eastern Europe, that would have been a deterrent. We just gave that up for nothing. Or I shouldn't say nothing. We gave it up. So, for Obama's request to have flexibility in space so that he, you know, after he could get reelected, then I guess he was saying that Putin could do what he wanted, but not in 2012. And he was willing to dismantle what had been a pretty good project that had just started to begin. But I think we have enough deterrence. U.S. nuclear strategic doctrine is a little different. We have the ability and accuracy and uh, multiplicity of platforms that the so the Russians, as the Soviets knew that we could take a first strike, and they could not. So what he, I think, what he's the generals will tell him: if you were to be so stupid to send a missile, or a lot of them to take out American sites, they have the ability to wipe us off the map. And that's not counting the two hundred and fifty or three hundred nukes that France and the UK have. So I don't think it's a serious threat, but. Anytime you even mention that, you got to take it seriously. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, for uh, all the uh, the the, uh, the the conversation Nassim Taleb sparks online, his book The Black Swan woke me up to that fact. You know, if someone told you, "Oh, don't worry, there's only a one in a hundred chance this plane's going to crash," 
you know, you're not going to get on the plane, right? I mean, yeah, maybe a black <laughs> yeah, no, swan event, not. but 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 the but, but the consequences of the wrong decision are are, are, are terminal. It's death. So uh, I I agree with you on that. Um, you know, one of the things that's frustrated me, and I always eagerly look forward to your appearances on Tucker Carlson's show, is uh, you have this just almost unparalleled ability. I don't see another commentator out there outside of maybe Thomas Sowell to get get into the mind of the left and what they're doing and explain it in common sense terms. What I find puzzling amongst the left, where even the European Greens are waking up now, uh, Victor, is uh, this 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 energy suicide pact where we're like, hey, listen, we're the left. We believe in tolerance and all that other cutesy coexist stuff. Uh, but we're going to let Putin invade a neighbor who was, you know, almost no threat to them, at least in the short term. Uh, we, yet we claim to believe in human rights when we could have probably done a lot to mitigate the threat if we just would have produced a good amount of energy here, even though we have stricter energy guidelines. But no, not our left. They turned that over to Putin, enriched him, and really, you know, empowered this guy seeking his international hegemony right here. It just seems bizarre. It's almost suicidal. It is. I've had the misfortune for 40 years of having to associate every day with leftists and academia. And I can tell you, (laughs) as you know from John Kerry's remark the other day, that, I mean, he was completely dense that he was worried most not about death on a mass scale, but whether climate change talks with Putin would now be sidetracked. So what I'm getting at is never underestimate the left's arrogance. They really do believe that their eloquence, their mellifluousness, their superior morality, there are no external foreign threats. You can always talk and sway and persuade a Putin. And and I know that That sounds crazy, but it's borne out by facts, because if you think of everything that we did to appease Putin, it was all from the left. It was the Russian uh, reset. It was use of Russian sources to uh, create the steel dossier. It was uranium one. It was getting Bill Clinton to go to Moscow, pay him $500,000. It was the Hunter Biden consortium going to Russia, Ukraine, China. It was the massive donations from Russian sources to the Clinton Foundation. And it was all predicated on, we're going to go over there with our Harvard and Yale degrees and really tell these Russians that it's in their interest to be nice to us and to create an ecumenical global vision. And that's what they think. And then the green thing, they never even think of the strategic or it's just a minor irritant because if it, if it arose and it did, they think they could just, you know, get Vladimir and the Putin and say, let's be flexible, Vladimir, give me some space. And that's what they do. And they get people killed by that. What's interesting is the complete flip-flop of Germany. So the German transfer gets on there and it's like, we're going to be armed now. We're going to meet more than our 2%. We're going to give weapons, which we never have, to a third party. We're going to start building uh, conventional power plants. And what that reflected was that everything that they have said for the last 20 years against all that, against conventional energy, against the 2% goal in NATO, against NATO itself, against the United States, they knew it was never really valid because they just they just abandoned it all without any apology to us. They didn't never said, we're sorry that we demonized you for enforcing the 2%. We're sorry that we said you were always a warmonger when you gave weapons to third party. We're sorry when you said that the pipeline was bad and you sanctioned it. But, and so you can see that the left has been 
gosh, they've been repudiated. And I think here they're in full panic because this Ukrainian thing and the flip-flop of Germany and the threats of Putin, as you say, it's all predicated, if you get, trace it back to energy. And they're responsible for giving him petrodollars by spiking the world price, for making us vulnerable, for making Europe vulnerable. That whole ideology has done this. And when you think of the corollaries to it, that only 45% down have confidence now, according to a recent poll in the U.S. military. And that's because of Afghanistan, and that's because of the wokeness and Millie and Austin and their obsessions with white anger and what they've done is the left is they've removed the deterrence of the u.s military and then we have to throw in you know biden with afghanistan and telling the hackers in russia lay off 16 sites otherwise go ahead and begging putin to, to produce oil so it's a left they own this they own the the lack of deterrence they own the green suicidal policies and they don't know what to do and now they're reduced to the ridiculous. They're actually blaming Donald Trump. They say between 2017 yeah. and 20, it's true. He didn't go into anywhere, but Putin did because he got everything from Donald Trump. He wanted So why go in. <laughs> and I'm thinking, wow, he re- they really like Trump killing mercenaries. They really like Trump crashing world prices, increasing the defense budget. You name it, getting out of a missile deal with them. It's absurd, but that's what they're reduced to because they're desperate. Yeah, the, what about the Open Skies Treaty? You know, Trump pulled out of that, too. The Russians wanted that. That wasn't benefiting us anymore. That was that, that was Trump. Uh, Victor, I got to run, unfortunately, but I, I so deeply appreciate you coming on. Uh, I really look forward to your appearances um, on uh, on cable news. Thanks a lot for your time today. We appreciate it. Thanks, Dan. You got it. Folks, you can check him out at victorhanson.com, and I strongly encourage you to do so. You won't see the... You won't see a large group of people out there have the ability he does to get inside the mind of the left. Jim, wouldn't you agree? I know you love uh, VDH there. That's our his first time. We got to get him back sometime. Let's line him up for round two if we can. Huh? That was Victor Davis Hanson who was on the radio show with some uh, incredible insight on the conflict in Ukraine. We've got another great interview coming up with Dr. Peter McCullough about some eye-opening information about the Pfizer vaccine you need to hear about. You don't want to miss this. If you're looking for a firearm that's easy to transport, you got to check out the U.S. Survival Rifle from Henry Repeating Arms. It's a portable rifle you can put together and take apart in a few minutes. And then when you're not using it, you can store the parts in the little case it comes in. It's so small, it can be stored anywhere, in a go bag, anywhere. It's light enough to carry everywhere. comes in black and two different camo patterns. You can pick one up for three dollars to $400, depending on the finish. You can watch a few videos at henryusa.com survival. And while you're there, be sure to order their free catalog. Henry makes more than 200 rifles, shotguns, and revolvers, and they're all made in America, backed by a lifetime satisfaction guarantee and the best customer service in the business. Go to their website. It's henryusa.com, and be sure to order a free catalog. They'll send it with free decals on a list of dealers in your area. That's henryusa.com for a free catalog and decals and to see the Henry U.S. Survival Rifle. Okay, here's Dr. Peter McCullough, who brought to light information about the Pfizer vaccine, a study, and what it may, may be doing in your body. Please pay really close attention to this interview. All right, the doctor's very busy here, so let me not waste a lot of time and get right to him. This is Dr. Peter McCullough. Doctor, thanks for spending some time with us. Well, thanks for having me. So, doctor, I read this study. I saw it on your uh, social media feed about the uh, intracellular reverse transcription of the Pfizer COVID-19 mRNA vaccine. 
Can you explain to us in layman's terms what this means? It sounds to me like our bodies could be incentivized to produce this spike protein a lot longer than anticipated. And if true, that could cause a lot of complications. Am I, am I wrong? That's true. I mean, the concerning um, new news on this is that uh, a lab in Sweden now has found the, the cell line that, uh, indeed, a lot of this has to do with laboratory technique, the cell line that uh, has demonstrated the fact that the vaccines now in the cytoplasm, in the, in basically in the area where the messenger RNA should be um, uh, transcribed in order to produce the spike protein, that, in fact, it sits there long enough for DNA to be laid down against the RNA, and that DNA moves into the uh, nucleus of the cell. And, uh, and with that, uh, it's found in the nucleus, and it's coding for the spike protein. Now, we don't know if it's actually physically changing the chromosomes permanently, but um, many believe that that is uh, circumstantial evidence that that's happening. Now, now there's going to be a really hot and heavy investigation to see whether or not these vaccines, in fact, permanently change chromosomes. And if this is the case, is spike protein going to be produced long term? Does, does any other vaccine, we're talking to Dr. Peter McCullough, does any other vaccine do that, lead to long-term chromosomal changes that, that you're aware of, or is this new technology the first one to your knowledge? It's new technology, and that's the consequences of using new technology in a widespread vaccine program is these things uh, are not, you know, cannot be assessed ahead of time in enough preclinical studies. Now, the respiratory illness itself uh, has been shown, and particularly in severe cases where there's prolonged exposure to have some reverse transcription. We don't know what the implications are. When you get a natural viral infection, some of it can incorporate it in your own DNA. It's called the HERV region. And you may know this because if you get chickenpox, the virus doesn't install, and later on in life you can get shingles which is the varicella zoster virus coming back out. Uh, the same thing is true with Epstein-Barr virus. You get a permanent install. Uh, but with a vaccine, there's just under no circumstances would we want to see evidence of a permanent install, particularly on production of a protein, which is pathogenic. A doctor, we're talking to Dr. Peter McCullough about a, a troubling new study. Uh, once we hang up, I'll, I'll show you folks where you can read it for yourself. Uh, for a guy like me who's you know, recently, hopefully, uh, recovered from lymphoma, I'm in remission now, and uh, my wife, who has an autoimmune disorder herself and lupus, um, if that turns out to be the case, and I understand it's a preliminary study, you, know, you were very uh, cautious in your approach to it as well, but if it turns out that we are producing spike proteins long-term, um, what could that mean for people with autoimmune difficulties and people with various types of cancers, blood cancers, and, uh, and, and immune system cancers? I think it's going to be a matter of degree. Uh, if it's one or two shots and it's a mosaic of cells uh, and there isn't much passage to daughter cells, uh, you know, this thing can, in a sense, burn itself out or be cleared out over time. Bruce Patterson, who leads a company called Incel DX, uh, doing terrific work. He's formerly a professor at Northwestern and Stanford. He's actually shown in the respiratory illness 
that the spike protein is in the body a long time, Dan, about up to 15 months in CD16 positive monocytes. And I did have him on my show, and I asked him about what has he seen in vaccinated people. And in fact, he does have samples. He's seen both the S1 and the S2 segment of the spike protein in humans after vaccination as long as he's observed them. So for a month, and I asked him, I said, can you predict how long it's in the body? He said, probably over a year. Uh, you, you know, SARS-CoV-2, the virus, and then the spike protein installed in the body with vaccination, it has a persistence in the body. That's the reason why people feel bad. There's a long COVID syndrome. Uh, and I asked him, is there any other uh, infection that's similar to this? And he said, yeah, there is. I said, what is it? He said, Lyme disease. Lyme disease does an install of the, the organism called Borrelia burgdorferi. It takes forever to clear out Lyme. That's the reason why people get this post-Lyme syndrome. So I think people who are immune deficient, people with lymphoma, they've had chemotherapy or radiation, or they have other autoimmune illnesses, uh, this could be a problem. And uh, I think doctors will have to keep a, a careful watch on organ systems that could be involved, including uh, the bone marrow, um, measures of the immune system, brain and heart. And uh, let's hope for the best. But none of this is adding up to having people get enrolled in a periodic booster program. I, I think that could be trouble. D- Doc, do you have time for one more question? I know I know you're, you're yeah. crunch for time. You're seeing patients. One, uh, one more and we'll let you go. Um, this, is a, this is where I'm having a hard time reconciling this as, a, again, a, a non-medical professional like yourself. If the if this the research turns out to be accurate in vivo and we start getting, say, liver samples from from people and and starts to show that, yes, spike proteins are being pumped out for a longer term than anticipated, then how is it that the vaccine's effectiveness is waning so poorly? In other words, if it's pumping out these spike proteins that are supposed to be recognized as and by our bodies as foreign invaders, then. And, and we're producing antibodies, and why is the vaccine, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's producing these spike proteins, but it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Doesn't seem to make sense. It would seem to be zero-sum here. One would take away from the other. That's a brilliant observation. So the, your question is, you know, if we're being presented with this antigen all the time, why don't we have these right. rock and rolling antibodies, right? Why do they trail off? Uh, in a paper by Israel, done in Israel, his first author, they showed a 40% drop off per month of these antibodies after the vaccine. It must be, and I think Bruce Patterson is right on this, it must be that the body is concealing the spike protein as an antigen because your white blood cells, your monocytes and and, uh, macrophages are trying to gobble up the spike protein. So in a sense, you're sequestering it away from uh, antigenic presentation, but yet you're stuck with this over time. So let's hope that it's not a chronic stimulus for blood clots. It's not a chronic stimulus for um, myocarditis or heart inflammation that uh, evolves over time or bleeding disorders like vaccine-induced thrombocytopenic purpurea. Uh, And let's hope that it's not a stimulus for cancer. And the first cancer data was presented out of the Department of Defense Epidemiologic Database, DMED, and that was at the January 24th Senate hearings where it's just epidemiological but there has been a market increase in cancer among our service people right now, uh, year on year since the vaccines have been rolled up. And this is part of the problem when we get into a very accelerated course of approval and get a product out into widespread use without its study. This type of program should have had years and years of study because it's new genetic technology. 
Dr. Peter McCullough, I can't thank you enough for, uh, I, I go to your social media feed for accurate science-based data, and I really appreciate you not being intimidated by people trying to shut you down for uh, speaking the truth. So thanks for spending some time with us during your extremely busy workday. Thanks a lot. Okay. Thanks, Dan. Bye. That was an incredible interview with Dr. Peter McCullough. Up next, we talk with Sebastian Gorka, but first... Here's Sebastian Gorka from the radio show last week about the crisis in Ukraine and the feckless Biden administration. All right, welcoming back to the show, a guy who I uh, trust and value his opinion a lot, especially on national security matters, former assistant to President Trump, a man you know well, Sebastian Gorka. Sebastian, thank you very much for spending some time with us. We appreciate it. I, I'm on it, Dan. Um, it's it's a real pleasure to be on your show. Uh, I know it's sad that you're not with us on Salem, but you're keeping millions of people <laughs> every day. So thank you, Dan, for what you do. Oh, thanks, buddy. If you want to learn more about Sebastian and uh, his content, read his content over there, sebgorka.com, sebgorka.com. Check it out. So Sebastian, obviously a uh, you know somber day. Woke up this morning. I think we all expected it, but a lot of folks, uh, me included, expected a limited incursion into eastern Ukraine, not what appears to be now a um, a full-scale invasion from the north, from the south. Uh, it appears uh, they, they took power plants. It appears they're taking the airport now in Kiev. Uh, this looks to be a full-scale invasion. In your opinion, you're a national security expert, worked in the White House with President Trump. Do you think he plans on occupying Ukraine? And I can't imagine that works out well for him. This is a rather large country. It is a large country, and it has a great tradition after it was swallowed up of fighting the Soviets for years and years in the forest. So I'm not worried about the Ukrainians taking the fight in internal guerrilla warfare to the uh, Soviet invaders or the Russian invaders uh, today. But yes, no, uh, he he has really uh, jumped the shark, to use the vernacular, uh, when he gave that, that verbal diarrhea of a fake history lesson uh, just a, a couple of days ago, he said, well, you know, Ukraine never been an independent country. It's always been part of Russia. And the scary thing is, Dan, that he has done exactly the same thing over the years with the Baltic states and even Poland. So this is an individual who has said publicly on more than one occasion that the, ga- the greatest geostrategic tragedy, quote unquote, of the 20th century was the loss of the Soviet Union. So in some delusional, deranged fashion, this is his attempt to try and piece it back together through the use of force. We're talking to Sebastian Gorka. You can check him out at sebgorka.com. Good man, good friend, folks. We've got to support our guys who are in this fight to win. Sebastian, you just brought up something about the Baltic states and obviously NATO members in the region. You know, there were some reports earlier of uh, Putin's forces hitting Snake Island, which is an island closer to Romania, candidly, that is Ukraine, although Ukraine had an outpost out there, which had the Romanians on high alert. You know, again, I'm putting myself in the camp that would have never seen him um, attacking a NATO country, Ukraine, of course, not being in NATO. I really thought it would be a limited incursion to the east. Uh, Do you see him doing that? I mean, what's this guy's endgame? I mean, if he hits a NATO country, obviously it triggers Article 5 and puts us in a a, a treaty box that, uh, you know, treaty-wise, at least we're obligated to respond. Uh, I I cannot predict what a a psychotic authoritarian head of state will do. It's hard to get inside that, that soulless mind. Why? 
well, this is a former KGB colonel. This is an individual who has, you know, assassinated or attempt to assassinate people on foreign soil, such as UK citizens in the Skripal assault. This is a man who kills journalists on his own territory who criticize him. But at the end of the day, you, you know, you're a big film guy, Dan. I, I love all your, your yeah. culture references, pop culture. <laughs> you know you. that scene from, from uh, The Hunt for Red October where uh, Congressman Fred Thompson is playing the admiral on the aircraft carrier, yeah. and uh, Jack Ryan walks out of the the, the um, EXO's office or the admiral's well, boardroom, and and then he looks to his EXO and he says, "This will get out of hand very very quickly." This I remember that scene well. You remember that scene? That, that yeah, of course. With, with, without the calculation of a, an actual territorial aggression against the NATO neighbor, uh, NATO nation. Why? The Ukraine already borders NATO nations like Hungary. The, 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 the concept that this couldn't happen by accident or that Russian troops don't get carried away by themselves, that's why we need strong leadership more than ever. And NATO right now, Dan, is talking about sanctions, sanctions, Sanctions have never stopped Vladimir Putin from doing anything. When we were in the White House, instead of sending socks and blankets to Kiev, what did we do? We didn't invade Russia. We didn't, we're not, you know, the kinds of interventionists of the neoconservative ilk. We just sent javelin missiles to Ukraine so they could deal with the threat themselves. But what, what is Biden going to do? So this is, this is a man who told us Putin is afraid of me. Really, Joe? I've just listened, literally, three minutes before I came on, I listened to Boris Johnson and the Labour opposition uh, head uh, in Parliament agree together on how this is egregious and what measures have to be taken. Biden hasn't even spoken yet. Every head of right. state has given statements. Right. What, where is Biden, Dan? I, I, Sebastian, that is a wonderful question, and I was following Boris Johnson's comments closely Boris Johnson is is about 10 degrees hotter on this than Biden. Boris Johnson is saying now that cutting them out of SWIFT, the international payment clearance system, is not off the table. Meanwhile, Biden's dilly-dallying, and he's also saying, hey, our next step is we're not going to let a damn Russian plane land anywhere in the U.K. I mean, Biden's got to—I agree with you. We don't have to put our boots on the ground, but you, you got to do something. I mean, really, don't just sit there playing tiddlywinks. Boris— has banned all Russian companies from the British financial system. Think about yeah. that. All Ru yeah. what, did, what did Biden do day one? He, one of his first executive orders was to shut down the Excel Keystone Pipeline extension. When we right. were in the White House, for the first time in the Republic's history, we were a net exporter of energy. The biggest thing we did to hurt Vladimir Putin is become a net exporter of oil and gas. Fracking is being shut down. Excel shut down. Nord Stream was permitted. The Nord Stream pipeline was permitted by Biden. And you know the strange situation I'm in? And you know, as a former Secret Service guy, you understand this. I keep getting asked, what would you tell Biden to do right now? Nothing, because it makes no difference. We, we need yeah. Donald Trump back in the White House. When you have a weak, feckless, senile old man, it doesn't matter what he does, because Putin has got his number. And when you have an elite from Rice to Kamala, the cackler, to Biden, who detest America, Dan, that's the yeah. common issue. They hate America, and that's why they will never do the right thing. And I'm not an interventionist, but here's the lesson for my fellow no. conservatives, everybody, guys. 
when a bully, go back to the playground when you're a kid, when a bully is allowed to get away with bullying, sooner or later, everybody pays the price. Yeah, we're talking to Sebastian Gorka's website, sebgorka.com. Sebastian, you were in the White House with President Trump. You were a national security expert. You taught it. You know, I have a theory here, and, and, and listen, you have no obligation whatsoever to agree with me. If you think it's stupid, tell me. You will not hurt my feelings. You're certainly a better expert than me on this. But, you know, there's an element of, 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 of unpredictability that can be strategic when it comes to warfare. I mean, you see it all the yeah. time with people like Kim Jong-un and the Iranians who managed to stay in power, but despite being dramatically weaker than the combined world's military. And then the world, the reason is because nobody knows what the hell they're going to do. I mean, they're totally yeah. unpredictable. The problem I have with Biden in contrast to your former boss and our president, Donald Trump is nobody knew what Donald Trump was going to do. Remember the Russian mercs he annihilated in the Syrian battlefield. They didn't see that coming, Sebastian. They went through the proper deconfliction and they told the Russians, the Trump administration through Mattis, they said, listen, you get these Russian mercs out of there, we're going to kill them. And the Russians basically said, ah, go F yourself. You're not going to kill our guys. And you know what we did? We killed them. They killed 90 Russian mercs and 100 others. I mean, listen, I'm not reveling in anyone's death. I'm just telling you, like, no one could predict what this guy would going to do. And you know what Russia did in response to that? Nothing. They did nothing. Now, here's Biden, on the other hand. Not only predictable... But he tells Putin in that in that dreadful speech, uh, he says, listen, if you invade eastern Ukraine in a minor incursion, we'll all be fighting about what to do, basically. I mean, strategic unpredictability matters, doesn't it? You, you nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. It's like Sun Tzu said more than 2000 years ago, the greatest form of victory is to win without fighting. You have so got yeah. to screw with the will of the enemy that they don't know if you're going to go nuclear on their backside. Think of this. He's having a state-like dinner at Mar-a-Lago with the biggest communist dictator in the world, Xi Jinping, and over chocolate cake, Dan. Whispers yeah, this is a great story. This is a great story. I got to, Sebastian, the, the, folks, listen to this story he's about to tell you. Let me prep the battlefield. Sebastian's about to tell you a story about Donald Trump. He's having dinner at Mar-a-Lago with Xi Jinping when he's president. Tell, tell everybody what happened. This is the best story. So they've had the dinner in the beautiful Mar-a-Lago club where the president lives. They've served this amazing, the best chocolate cake in the world, Dad. <laughs> and he, does, he just threw the interpreter, leans over to Xi Jinping and says, oh, by the way, I just dropped 52 cruise missiles on Assad's head because he was going to use chemical weapons again in Syria. And I can't, you know, I have my TS clearances. I had them back then. I can tell you, Dan. I saw the intel. He was going to move chemical weapons from that air base in Syria, and we dropped 52 cruise missiles on his head. Not because we're interventionists, not because we talk about invading other countries, but when bad guys do bad things that are unconscionable, we send a message of strength. And that message wasn't just for Xi, that was for Putin. That was for little Kim. That was for the mullahs. And I, I can't, you know, he has done other things, off the record, directly yeah. with Vlad to send a very similar message. And I'm so glad you mentioned what you mentioned. Let's be clear. The, the Russia collusion, really, we almost brought Russia to its knees because of our energy independence. And for the first time in our republic's history, not even the great Ronald Reagan did this. President Trump gave the green light to the SecDef to target 200 Russian mercs in Syria who weren't mercs. 
They were special operators working directly for Vlad, and we gave them a dirt nap. Not because we want to invade Syria, because we said, you're not going to mess in the Middle East when I'm the commander-in-chief. That's leadership. And right now, Biden couldn't do that if his life depended on it, Dan. Yeah, you can't. That The largest loss of Russian life in American hands in decades. And people forget that story. You know why they forget it? Because the media never told you the story because it made Trump look tough on Russia. So they hit it. That's what happened. Sebastian, last question for you. I'm talking to Sebastian Gorka, SebGorka.com. I got about a Two minutes left. You know, one of the lessons learned from the Iraq war I've, I've learned from military strategists, friends of mine, is never go to war with the United States without nuclear weapons. You basically stand no chance. Do you think in 1994, when Bill Clinton and, and others around the world convinced the Ukrainians to give up their nuclear weapons uh, in Budapest, that looks like a mistake now, doesn't it? This is perhaps one of the most tragic aspects of the current situation in America. When, when we were in the White House, we had a very simple message that we stole from the Marine Corps. No better friend, no worse enemy. After eight years of Obama and Biden treating our friends like Israel as enemies and facilitating our enemies uh, like Iran, giving them $140 billion, we reversed that. And we reversed it in a matter of months. Remember, we took out the ISIS caliphate in five months after Obama said it would be with us for generations. We need to, it, it is possible to reverse this, but not unless we get engaged. Listen to Dan, get engaged, get politically active. I don't care if it's the local school board or the local, you know, uh, council, the lo- local, the local library council. Get engaged. We can take back America. We did it in Virginia, but it's up to us. In the meantime, Biden is going to drive this issue into the ground. Find out more. I've got an exclusive interview with President Trump. It's the first um, appendix of my book, The War for America's Soul. But guys, it is up to us. When America leads, the world is a safer place. Right now, we are more dangerous globally. The situation is more dangerous than it has been since 1945. And that's on every single person who voted for Biden. Period. End of story. Yeah, well said. Sebastian Gorka, thank you very much for your service to the country. Thank you for spending some time with us. We really appreciate it. You too, buddy. God bless you and your listeners. That was our interview with Sebastian Gorka from the radio show last week. You can hear me every weekday across the country in over 300 radio stations. Go to Bongino.com and click on Station Finder to find out where I'm on near you. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it. You just heard Dan Bongino.